Sister Maya is controlling this today. I'm not controlling this. Well, oh, so you gotta show, show us videos later, don't you? Okay, if I can control it just for a little while. Uh, I'm going to go to the book of Genesis, chapter 12. And we're going to Genesis, chapter 12, and verse number 1. So, well, yeah, when I'm seeing these monuments and all these statues, I'm like, you know. But then the states have rights. And the states have to call and request all of this help, you know. But, uh, you know, and I grew up on a farm. I know I was, one time I heard a few, uh, when the rioting was taking place, somebody, they said that there was rioters and protesters that were leaving St. Louis and coming to Vandalia. They were going to hit all these little towns, and they were going to riot and loot and everything. I thought, man, let them come on. Because I said, you know what? We have, uh, the people here, we'll just shoot you full of lead. You step on our property, we're not going to take an ID and, and, and check you, you know, and see if you're okay. We're going to shoot you first, you know. And, uh, but we're, if it all boils down to the last day, it all boils down to the end of time. All of this boils down to the end of time again. So we're going to Genesis chapter 12, <clears throat> verse number 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Now keep that in mind. I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. America. She's loved and she's hated. America, she's loved and hated. All right. So, it was the spring of 1776. And while some still hoped for peace, the colonies were at war with England. The battles of Lexington, Concord, and Bunker Hill were year-old history. Washington had taken command of the Continental Army's, listen to this size, 17,000 men. And the idea of independence had caught fire throughout the colonies. Royal colonial governments were being ousted up and down the eastern seaboard. In May, eight colonies voted to support independence. And a resolution to that effect was presented to the Second Continental Congress by Virginia Delegate Richard Henry Lee at Independence Hall in Philadelphia, and that was on June 7, 1776. The British began sending a massive fleet of warships on its way to New York, 30 battleships, 1,200 cannons, and more than 30,000 soldiers. On June 11, 1776, a vote on Lee's resolution was postponed, and Congress recessed for three weeks after appointing a committee of five to draft a statement presenting to the colony the colony's case for independence to King George III and to the world. The five men on this committee were the following. John Adams from Massachusetts, Roger Sherman, Connecticut, Benjamin Franklin, Pennsylvania, Robert Livingston, New York, Thomas Jefferson, Virginia. Jefferson wrote the document, which was then revised and edited by the committee. Congress reconvened on July 1st and passed Lee's resolution for independence the next day. Then it took up Jefferson's document. Passage would not be easy. Some delegates opposed independence. Others opposed Jefferson's wording. Now, we think that these, all these guys were great and they did noble things, but they were living life, and they didn't know the outcome of all of this. They didn't know how the story was going to end. Just like we're living everyday life, day to day, and we don't know how the story is going to end in our lives. These guys didn't know what, that this country was going to be formed, and it was going to turn out to be what it was. 
Worse than the opposition to Jefferson's writing or wording was this. All the delegates knew that the vote had to be unanimous. For two days they struggled, changing Jefferson's document 39 times. Until in the late afternoon of July 4, 1776, delegates to the Second Continental Congress of what they declared to be the United States of America voted unanimously to adopt what we now call the Declaration of Independence. Right there it is. In Congress, July 4, 1776. Now, the American system of government, the American system of government, in modern times, the term democracy and republic are commonly used interchangeably, especially in reference to the expansion of citizenship and rights previously disenfranchised or disfranchised groups. However, the distinction between a democracy and a republic is significant. Okay? Keep this in mind. Democracy. A form of government in which ultimate authority is based on the will of the majority. In a pure democracy, from the Greek demos, meaning people, the citizens participate in government directly rather than by electing representatives. One of the challenges in a direct democracy is that there is no protection for the inalienable rights of minorities, leading to the possibility of tyranny by the majority. Moreover, direct democracy is susceptible to changing passions that can lead to mob rule, as well as demagoguery that can lead to tyranny. The form of government established in the U.S. Constitution is sometimes called a representative or indirect democracy. A republic, a form of government in which, you feel like you're back in civics, uh, a form of government in which the people are sovereign, ultimate source of power, and give their consent to representatives to make laws. The term republic comes from the Latin, resp yes, I didn't take Latin in school, so that's figured out, meaning the thing of the people. In a republic, the will of the people is filtered through several steps, making it less likely that a majority fraction or faction can endanger the rights of a particular individual or groups. So we live in a representative democracy. In Federalist Number 10, Madison explained why a republic or systematic system of representation is the form of government best suited to protecting the rights of all. Madison noted that the Constitution's structure and limitations on power created a republic that would refine and enlarge the public views by passing them through the median of a chosen body of citizens whose wisdom may best discern the true interest of their country and whose patriotism and love of justice will be least likely to sacrifice it to temporary or partisan considerations. The price of freedom. Now listen to all of that. I said all that to say this, it is not mob rule in the United States, but we, the government has been set up by the founding fathers that all kinds of minorities can have their voice heard and their opinion viewed. Amen. Now, as we go on, there is a price to feed freedom here. The price to freedom can be very dear as it was to many of those who dared sign their names to the document declaring this land to be free. Here is an account of what some of their signatures cost our founding fathers. Francis Lewis, New York. Now, we look at those signatures on the bottom of that declaration, and we think, man, would it have been awesome to be one of those guys? Wouldn't it have been awesome to be one of those signers there? The first one to sign, I believe, was John Hancock. John Hancock, you see his name at the center on the bottom, and this is the biggest of all of them. He said, I, I want to make sure that that old king over there, King George III, can see my name. Hallelujah. Now, so Francis Lewis, his wife was captured by the British in 1776 and later died as a result of her captivity. Lewis himself lived out his years in relative poverty having sacrificed his independent fortune to the cause of patriotism during the War of Independence. 
Philip Livingston, New York. He and his family had to flee their home to escape the British Army and never return. Lewis Morris, New York. His family fled the approaching British Army, which plundered his estate, destroyed hundreds of acres of crops, and took his livestock. John Hart of New Jersey. Hessens destroyed Hart's farm, livestock, and other property. The hardships brought on by the destruction caused Hart's wife to become sick, and she died as her husband was trying to reach her. Hart, what's this? Hart was forced to flee into the woods and sleep in caves when the British troops invaded New Jersey. His children were forced into hiding and sought refuge with family and friends. This man, he never saw some of his children ever again. See, freedom has a cost. And you and I all know how incensed we feel when we watch the news and all of these protesters are burning things down. I don't mind quiet protest. There are times protests are necessary, but not the destruction of people's property, not taking people's lives, not knocking over a 92-year-old lady who's walking down the street to the supermarket in Queens, New York, for no reason at all. But you see, there's a spirit in the air. There's a spirit of the age. It's called the end of the age. It's called the Antichrist. And this thing is getting wound up. And I'm telling you that all of this kind of anti-government sentiment and uh, um, all of this anti-government stuff and is trying to break down every value that this country has been founded on. You see, everything has to be destroyed so the Antichrist can step on the scene and he can say, I can bring peace to the whole world. I can take care of racism. I can take care of all of this business and just trust me and just believe in me. The, the enemy is getting the world ready for his coming. Amen? And so the church, we, we're going to have to wake up and we're going to have to realize what's going on. Richard Stockton, New Jersey, he was dragged from his bed by a group of royalists and imprisoned in New York where he was denied basic necessities. He was finally released, but he had endured so much suffering that he never fully recovered. His fortune was nearly wiped out, his lands ruined, his papers and library were burned, and his livestock seized. For a while, he was forced to depend on the goodwill of his friends for survival. George Clymer, probably no relation to Abe Clymer, his family eluded British soldiers who ransacked their house. Clymer was in Philadelphia during this time. When British troops arrived there, they found where he lived and started to tear the building down and only stopped when told the house didn't belong to Clymer. How about that? They were tearing down the wrong house. Whoa. William Ellery. His house was burned and the rest of his property was destroyed while British, the British Army occupied Newport. Edward Rutledge, Arthur Middleton, Thomas Hayward, Hayward, South Carolina. All three were imprisoned at St. Augustine, Florida for almost a year. Thomas Nelson, Jr., that sounds like a publisher, doesn't it? He lost his fortune aiding the war effort and died a poor man. John Morton, Pennsylvania, on his deathbed, he asked those in attendance to tell his enemies, those who didn't forgive him for voting in favor of independence, that one day it would be acknowledged that casting his vote was the most important act of his life. Adam, Abraham Clark two, of the Clark, two of Clark's sons were officers in the army. They were captured by the British and confined to the prison ship Jersey, where thousands of American captives died. One was held in solitary confinement and given no food. Reportedly, Clark still refused to change his position and support the crown when the British offered to spare his son's lives if he did so. His headstone reads, Firm and dedicated as a patriot, zealous and faithful as a friend to the republic, or to the public. He loved his country and adhered to her cause in the darkest hours of her struggles against oppression. Those are the words of some patriots. Those are the words of some men who gave us what now we see as the Bill of Rights who gave us rights that we enjoy today, rights that we celebrate today. Amendment number one, Congress shall make no laws respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people's peaceful, peaceably to assemble. See, that's the key word there. And to petition the government for a redress of grievances. 
This country was founded for religious freedom. It started back in 1620 at the Jamestown Colony in Jamestown, Virginia. And then it, began, it went over to the uh, Mayflower and Plymouth Rock and all of this. All of the people came here, our ancestors, for religious freedom. We wanted to serve God. Our families wanted to worship God in the way that we deem necessary. And today in America, you can still do that. But you see now... Uh, it's getting tight, and the enemy is trying to come in. California's passed something. You can't come to, if you come to church, you can't do anything. You can't sing. You can't worship. You can't do anything. You've got to stay quiet because you don't want to shoot out all that infected spittle. Amen. Amen. So I don't know what you're going to do in California when you get there. You, just, you see, but the enemy, it's an end-time age. It is an end-time age. And the enemy is trying to destroy America. That's why we have to not only celebrate America, but we have to pray for America. And we have to make sure our kids understand what America was founded on. I'm going to show you what America has done here in just a second. Amendment number two, we like this one, don't we? A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Amendment 3, no soldier shall in time of peace be quartered in any house without the consent of the owner nor in time of war, but in a manner that is to be prescribed by law. Amendment 4, the Fourth Amendment, the rights of the people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and effects against unreasonable searches and seizures shall not be violated, and no warrant shall, be, shall issue but upon probable cause, supported by oath or affirmation, and particularly describing the place to be searched and the persons or thing to be seized. The Fifth Amendment, no person shall be held to answer for a capital or otherwise infamous crime unless on a presentation of indictment of a grand jury, except in cases arising in the law or naval forces or in the militia, when in actual service in time of war or public danger, nor shall any person be subject for the same offense to be twice put in jeopardy of life or limb, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself, nor, to be, de more, nor be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. These are our rights. This is America. These are our rights. This is what God has blessed us with, the Sixth Amendment. In all criminal prosecutions, the accused shall enjoy the right to a speedy and public trial by an impartial jury of the state and district wherein the crime shall have been committed, which district shall have been previously ascertained by law and in the informed of the nature and cause of the accusation to be confronted with the witness against him, to have compulsory process for obtaining witnesses in his favor, and to have the assistance of counsel for his defense. The Seventh Amendment, in suits at common law, where the value in controversy shall exceed $20, the right of the trial by jury shall be preserved, and no fact tried by a jury shall be otherwise reexamined in any court of the United States then according to the rules of the common law. The Eighth Amendment, excessive bail shall not be required, nor excessive fines imposed, nor cruel and unusual punishments inflicted. The Ninth Amendment, the enumeration in the Constitution of certain rights shall not be construed to deny or disparage other re others retained by the people. And the Tenth Amendment, the powers not delegated to the United States by the Constitution nor prohibited by it to the states, are reserved to the states respectively or to the people. That's the Bill of Rights, the first ten amendments right there. That's what this country was founded on. Okay, America is 244 years old, and she's loved by many, and she's hated by many. America is loved by many and hated by many. Now why? God has blessed us and this country and use this nation to spread his gospel. Amen. This nation has given more money to missionaries in the last 244 years and sent them around the world than any other country in the world. When there's a disaster, 
and there's a typhoon that hits uh, Nepal, or, you know, or a typhoon that hits Burma, or not Burma anymore, uh, uh, Bangladesh, who sends all of the money? Who sends all of the aid? Who sends all of the help? We do. America is compassionate. America is uh, a country that is, is trying and striving to ensure human rights around the world. So not only do we try to take care of the physical, we also have tried to take care of the spiritual. Here's a few details. The best-selling and fastest-growing version of the Bible in the United States is the NIV. Okay. 82%, that's the percentage of people who regularly read the Bible who will reach for a King James Version before any other. There are more than 168,000 Bibles that are sold or given to others in the United States every day. 20 million, that's the number of Bibles that are sold each year in the United States. That's more than double the amount that was sold annually in the 1950s. Everybody ever heard of the Gideons? Gideons International distributed 59,460,000 Bibles worldwide last year. That's from here. That's from the United States of America. That's from pastors and churches and men and women of God who give because the Gideons always come by. Can you help us? Can you support us? Can you do this? Guess what? We're trying to put the word out there. Amen. That's more than 100 Bibles per minute being distributed around the world. Zondervan, a leading Bible publisher, has more than 350 different versions of the Bible in print right now. The percentage of Americans who own at least one Bible, amen, is 92%. Two-thirds of the owners, regardless of religious affiliation, say that the Bible holds meaning, uh, the meaning of life. Most of them never read it, but they understand that somehow it holds the meaning of life. The average American Christian owns nine Bibles and wants to purchase more. For this reason, the Bible is actually excluded from book bestsellers list because it would be on top all the time. 13,000 translations of the Bible are in new languages, and the Bible, of course, was written by 40 different authors. This is what America's done. This is what America has done. And this is what American printing presses have done throughout the years. Not only have they, we sent missionaries on ships here and there, and not only have we printed Bibles, but also Christian literature. I believe 17, the 17 top publishers in the country, uh, Christian publishers, are all based in the United States. You don't think the devil hates us? You don't think, you don't think the devil hates us? In 2010, the United States sent out 127,000 missionaries. 32,400 came to the United States. Brazil was second for sending out 34,000. And they got 20,000 sent to them. France sent out 21,000. Great Britain sent out 15,000. We sent out 127,000 missionaries in 2010. Keeper of Israel. Keeper of Israel. Genesis 12, 3. What did he say? And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curse thee. What is the one country that has always stood behind Israel? America. The only country out of 195 nations, or 196 nations on the face of the earth, one country has stood behind Israel all the time, and that's the good old USA. And God said, I'll bless them that bless you. Do you know what the richest nation in the world is? The United States. The strongest military in the world? The United States. How about it? Oh, yeah. People can yell, this is a racist country. People can yell, they can, they, this, this and that and this and that. But everybody's trying to get here. Why, does, why, why what, what's, what's so great about Israel? What came out of Israel? The Messiah came out of Israel. The Messiah, his, that's why the devil hates America. Why wouldn't he do, try to destroy America? Why wouldn't he try to destroy Israel? So we've seen a lot here in the last month or two about Black Lives Matter. Now, a lot of people, they just, you know, 
they just go through, you know, and, and kneel down in the Capitol Rotundra, you know, do all kinds of stuff. Politicians, all politicians want to do is make sure that wherever, whatever the poll is, that's one of, they want to make sure that they fly over there and, and this is where the poll's at. And it's just so I'm looking like I'm social, I'm, it just looks like I'm, you know, politically correct here. Black lives matter. Why not all, all lives matter? I pulled up the news this morning, and I believe there was 14 or 17 shot yesterday in Chicago. How many thousands of people have to die in Chicago until somebody does something to fix it? You know what's amazing to me is, is, is uh, I mean, we're talking, we're talking uh, three, two or three weeks ago, two toddlers were shot in Chicago. A three-year-old toddler, baby boy, was shot in the car. It was, during a, it was in a gang deal, and they were trying to take out the baby's dad. He was a dealer, and they were trying to take out his dad, and they missed his dad and got the baby. When is enough enough? Black lives matter. All lives matter. Blue lives matter. And then I start hearing rumblings. First of all, I'm glad I live in the country out here. Amen? I'm glad I'm not driving a truck in a city somewhere because I've tried in my mind to figure out what I would do if I'm in a city and I'm driving a truck. If I'm driving an 18-wheeler and I got a mob that's, that's in front of me and they're, they're shaking my truck and they're gonna, they're gonna, the main goal is to get the driver. The main goal is to stop, stop the truck. I hope this is all right for a Sunday morning on the 4th of July. I mean, you probably wanted to hear about, you know, the Ten Commandments or something today. I'm sorry. Uh, but they want to pull the driver out and, and beat the fire out of the driver and all of this other stuff. And then, you know, as a driver, I'm thinking, no, don't stop. Well, then you have crazy people who lay down in front of you of the truck. What are you going to do? Hey, that's a tough position to be in. Because if you run over somebody with an 18-wheeler, nine times out of ten, they're going to, they ain't going to make it. You know? They're not going to make it. And so all of these protests and riots and all of that business and, and everything, and this has come to the forefront again. But a lot of people just, just blindly just say, okay, Black Lives Matter, and they get shirts and make posters and, and you know, flashcards and everything, and they go out and, and they protest. But you've got to ask yourself, what does Black Lives Matter believe? What is their statement of faith? Uh, what's faith? What do they believe? Does anybody here know what they believe? Huh? Well, they believe Black Lives Matter. Really? Well, okay. So let's see. What do they believe? All right, Catherine, you are up. Got a little video for you. Many see the slogan Black Lives Matter or BLM as a noble plea for equal treatment under the law. It's a cry to secure the rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness for everyone. But what does the Black Lives Matter organization actually stand for? To find out, look no further than their leaders, Alicia Garza, Opal Tometi, and Patrice Cullors. Here's Cullors in a revealing 2015 interview. We actually do have an ideological frame. Um, myself and Alicia in particular are trained organizers. Um, we uh, are trained Marxists. Visit the Black Lives Matter website and read the list of demands to get a sense of how deep a transformation they seek. One of those demands proclaims, quote, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure requirement by supporting each other as extended families and villages that collectively care for one another. We can't be certain, but it's hard to believe this radical agenda is what most signed up for when they made that hashtag Black Lives Matter social media post, or that every employee customer or shareholder at Nike endorses a disruption of the family. Garza first coined the phrase in 2013, the day George Zimmerman was acquitted of murdering Trayvon Martin. Her friend Colors added the hashtag and joined the words so it could travel through social media. Tometi created the digital platform blacklivesmatter.com. 
According to Robert Stilson of the Capital Research Center, the group became a self-styled global network in 2014 and a fiscally sponsored project of a separate progressive nonprofit in 2016. This evolution has helped embolden an agenda vastly more ambitious than a national defunding of police. The goals of the Black Lives Matter organization go far beyond what most people think. They're hiding in plain sight, there for the world to see. If only we read beyond the slogans and the summaries of the movement they helped to create. It's a distinction with a profound difference. Their radical Marxist agenda is bent on supplanting the basic building blocks of society, the family, replacing it with the state, and destroying the economic system that has lifted more people from poverty than any other. Theirs is a blueprint for misery, not justice. It must be rejected. Okay. So there is the, the one of the platforms, one of the planks in the platform of Black Lives Matter. Now, there's also a couple others that I noticed in there that I'd like to share with you at this time. And that is, first of all, they said they, they were Marxist. Did you catch that? They were Marxist. Now, there's three basic economic systems in the world. There's capitalism, there's communism, and there's socialism. All right, America is uh, based on capitalism. Capitalism, in my opinion, is probably the best system to help get everybody rising up, to help empower everybody. Everybody has a chance to do it all. Socialism is uh, a mixture of both, and that's what you have in Western Europe and all of that, and then you have communism. Communism is in Russia. Communism is in China and Cuba and North Korea. It's an interesting. I, I, don't, I didn't, couldn't find a lot of statistics on how many Bibles that Russia has printed since 1918 nor Mao in China since 1949, how many missionaries China has sent out to the world to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. But these ladies said they are Marxist. Now, Marxism is originated in the thought of the German radical philosopher and economist Karl Marx, with important contributions from his friend and collaborator uh, Engels. Okay? Marx and Engels authored, authored the Communist Manifesto in 1848, a pamphlet outlining their theory of historical materialism, or materialism, materialism and predicting the ultimate overthrow, uh, and here I should have brightened those up, of capitalism. Engels edited the second and third volumes as Marx's analysis and critique of capitalism, both published after Marx's death. Uh, communism has never worked anywhere. Communism has never worked anywhere for people. Brother Linkoff has stood in this pulpit. He was in, he lives in Bulgaria. His country was a satellite of the Soviet Union. They live in high-rise concrete apartments. They had no freedom of religion. They have no freedom of the press. They have nothing like that. In the wintertime during, during the communism, you had a choice of one or two things. You could either have heat in your apartment or you could have hot water. You couldn't have both. Most of us would die. I mean, think about it. That's a dilemma. What are you going to do? You can get a heat. If you have heat in your apartment and you got cold water, at least you can step out and get warm, I guess. Right? And you can boil water. Maybe that's the case. But listen, communism doesn't work. But these ladies that have founded Black Lives Matter are communists. They are Marxist. They want to tear down the foundation of this country. Amen? Now, keep on watching here. Okay, so the first thing, and they showed this one, we disrupt the Western prescribed nuclear family structure required by supporting each other as extended family and villages that collectively care for one another, especially our children, to the degree that mothers, parents, and children are comfortable. So what happened to one husband, one wife, and a nuclear family? They want to get rid of the family. Here's the next one. We are self-reflexive and do the work required to dismantle the sin gender, privilege, and uplift black trans folk, especially black trans women who continue to be disproportionately impacted by trans antagonistic violence. 
So now we're talking about the gay community and the trans community. Here's the next one. We foster a queer-affirming network. When we gather, we do so with the intention of freeing ourselves from the tight grip of heteronormative thinking, or rather, the, the belief that all in the world are heterosexual unless she, he, or they disclose otherwise. So what is the gay agenda doing in the black community? Because the basic black community doesn't adhere to that at all. And here's another thing. Do you know that Planned Parenthood, and this is coming up in prophecies and, and uh, whatever, what that one sermon I did, you know? What was it? The prophecies in the end times. Uh, you ever heard of Planned Parenthood? Do you know who Planned Parenthood's founder was? A lady named Margaret Sanger. Back in, I believe, the 20s or 30s. It was their goal to set up these abortion clinics in African-American communities. Isn't that amazing? And these folks are strengthening that community there and all of that business as well. So that's just some of the things. This is some of the stuff that's attacking America today. This is some of the stuff that's attacking our families today. In fact, now they want to have, they have a curriculum that a lot of schools are adhering to called 1619 where they're going to, they're going to uh, revise and revamp the history of the United States according to the way they see it in their world. We are in a cultural fight, brothers and sisters. Antifa, you ever heard of Antifa? Antifa, they're the ones that uh, wear the all black, and they come in and they use a lot of violence in protests, and they'll, they'll destroy a lot of buildings. And what is really sad is in a lot of these riots, um, and a lot of people didn't social distance, you know. You got to wear, I mean, if you're going to, you know, me and Clark were talking today, Texas is Texas has asked churches to go back to online for a, a few weeks and everything, and they want everybody to wear masks. But, you know, you're going to have a lot more cases of the COVID now because you're doing a lot more testing, and people are starting to move around now. You know, you just can't set aside the rest of your life. And so we've decided that if they tell us that we have to shut down again, that we're just going to label each Sunday morning at 10 o'clock as a riot. And we will be able to come here. I shouldn't have said that out there on social media because now you know our plan. We are going to have a riot here, and we're going to be protesting. We're going to be protesting against sin. We're going to be protesting against the devil. We're going to be protesting against what, all he's trying to do. So Antifa, what is Antifa? Now, Antifa comes actually from around the 1920s. It started out in Europe. It was, a, uh, it was the, the answer to Mussolini's uh, fascism and Hitler's Nazism. Okay? So they were trying to balance. Now, in the States today, Antifa... Is, is far left, and that when you say far left, I'm talking about far left politically, okay? They're far left, and they are attacking the far right, which would be the KKK and the neo-Nazis and the skinheads and all that. So you have Antifa. Now, Antifa, there's only about 13 different Antifa clubs or groups in the country. Of course, one of them is in Chicago, yay. Uh, Illinois is always on the... Uh, the edge of societal evolution. Amen? And so, uh, but Antifa is a lot of what's causing all of the destruction in these neighborhoods. And what's so sad is most of the neighborhood businesses and stuff that are getting destroyed are minority-owned. So the people that they're protesting for are the ones that are turning around and, and, and making their businesses go bankrupt. Because, you see, evil does not have common sense. And evil will eventually go crazy and show itself. Go, it'll just go wild. And so what's happening, it won't have any common sense. And that's why the church is going to have to pray. And we're going to have to make sure that we know what's going on in the world and what is happening. Okay, Catherine, do you have that one? Antifa is not a new group, but it's certainly been all over social media lately, including on the president's Twitter timeline. So what do you need to know? Let's take a closer look. 
You have probably heard the term Antifa a lot lately. Antifa. 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 President Trump recently tweeted that he is designating Antifa as a domestic terrorist organization. But what is Antifa? Who is in it? And why is the spotlight back on the group when it's been in existence for decades? Antifa, which stands for anti-fascist, is a loosely connected series of groups with shared left or extreme left ideology. They have no central governing body, no defined roles, and because of their self-admitted secrecy, it is hard to know how many people count themselves as members. Antifa supporters generally campaign, organize, and protest, sometimes violently, against actions, people, and organizations they view as promoting authoritarian, racist, homophobic, or xenophobic beliefs. Anti-fascist groups can be traced back to Europe during World War II, where grassroots, mostly underground resistance movements, fought to gain control of the continent back from Nazi Germany and fascist Italy. The modern Antifa movement gained international attention in 2011 during Occupy Wall Street, again two years later when they affiliated themselves with Black Lives Matter, and for counter-demonstrations at the Unite the Right rally in Charlottesville, Virginia. Some Antifa groups are known for their community outreach and organizing, while others deploy often militant and radical tactics to get their message across. And without a real hierarchy or structure, Antifa is not so much an organization as a loose confederation of people with a similar ideology. So that's just a brief description of Antifa. I've been looking at it a little bit more, and I'm, I'm sure that it has Marxist uh, roots in it as well. But... What am I saying? I'm saying that we're going to have to pray for our country. I'm saying we're going to have to pray for our police. I'm saying we're going to have to pray for each other. I'm saying that we're going to have to realize, and we're going to have to pray for this election coming up. Now, I showed you a couple of weeks ago uh, in the prophecies in the end times deal about the, the prophets have been talking about Donald Trump since 2007, and, and multiple ones have said that he would be reelected and serve two terms. Well, listen, the church still has to pray. We just can't say, well, the prophet said that's going to happen, so I don't have to do anything. No, we still have to pray, and we still have to uh, continue the fight because we're in a fight, brothers and sisters. We are in a fight for our lives. We have children. We have grandchildren. You know, they're going to have to live in this country as well, and we have to make sure that we um, are in the, on the right side. So the, the summary of things is this. You have left versus right. Well, what does that mean, Pastor? Well, that's good versus evil. Right is, is the good, evil is the left. You have pro-life versus pro-choice. You have liberal versus conservative. You have right versus wrong. You have heaven versus hell. Uh, if you want to see a very sad movie, but a very awakening movie, um, what's that movie we saw on the abortion? Unwanted? Unplanned. If you haven't watched the movie Unplanned, you need to watch it. You need to watch the movie Unplanned, all right, because it is by uh, the story of a lady who was one of the directors of a chapter of Planned Parenthood, and she realized what was going on, and it wasn't right, and she left Planned Parenthood, and they took her to court and tried to sue her and all sorts of things. But the abortion business is a money-making machine. But the Bible says that it's a shedding of innocent blood. And our country is guilty of it. Our country is very guilty of it. You've got to have to pray for the Supreme Court because a, a, a justice that just everybody thought was conservative is now. He's, he's starting to vote with the liberals. Amen. Amen. If, if, if things don't happen right in November in the election, we may lose this country. Now, we know the end time is coming. We know the end is coming. We know that the Antichrist is coming. We know all of that, and we all better get our business straight with God. Amen? We better get our lives straight. We better get our decision uh, processes right. It's God versus the devil in the end of this whole thing. And we want to make sure that we are on the right side. We want to make sure that we are loving the Lord and that we are part of God's plan for the end time. God didn't put you in the kingdom now just for, just for fun, but God has a divine plan and purpose for each one of our lives. God has a plan for each one of your lives. God has a plan for it. God has a plan for it. God wants to do something in your life greater than you can even 
think or imagine. He wants to do it. Let's all stand. Amen. Amen. So, Catherine, would you get for me, uh, this is how we're going to end this today. I'm just going to be, listen, please come back next Sunday because I'm not just crazy. All right? But I'm just, we're just going to end it like this today, okay? Would you get on YouTube and pull up uh, Ray Charles, America? And I believe it's the one with like 6 million views. Is that the one? Is there one up there? He's going to have five sisters singing with him. They're not his sisters, but I mean they're sisters. They got their big old gowns on. And we're just going to we're just going to sing this and enjoy this as we're dismissed today, all right? Is that okay? Is that all right? Next week we'll pray some more. All right. Hallelujah. Oh, if you want to put it over there, we can watch it. Well, yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Can we watch it? I mean, some of you ladies might want to get some gowns like the backup singers had. They were awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, to honor. Getting ready to have a flyover. Uh, how about ladies? You, you ladies? I think the praise team ought to wear those, don't you? singing something like this.
Couldn't have done much better myself on that one. Wow. Oh, Pete. Pete's enjoying his freedom, ain't he? Oh, Pete's enjoying his freedom. Let's pray. Lord, in the name of Jesus. God, I just pray that the rest of this weekend and day will be special for everyone here. Thank you, God, for their loyalty and their dedication to the house of the Lord. Thank you for letting them be here. I pray that they gain something from this service. I know they did from your presence, Lord. I just pray that what I had to share with them today will encourage, will help, will embolden, will strengthen. Be with us now, God, as we go. Set us, God, make us contagious. Make us contagious Christians. Make us contagious, God, to all those around us. Let us have that smile on our face. Let others see a happiness inside and a peace in our minds and hearts that they want what we've got. In Jesus' name, just send us divine connections, Lord. Send us people that are hungry and send us to hungry people. Keep your hand on us and we go. Thank you once again for allowing us to live in this country. Thank you, God, once again for allowing us to have the freedom to worship in this country. We ask you, God, to always help us to be grateful and have a thankful heart in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.